0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of a MedTalk podcast. My name is Rhys Armstrong and in this episode myself and my colleague Ian Bolland spoke to Dr. Ian Jackson, the Medical Director and Clinical Safety Officer at Referral. Ian, what did we speak about?
1: Well, we spoke about Matthew Gould's appointment at NHSX and the role of NHSX itself. We also spoke about digital technologies and investments and solutions in the NHS and the recently announced plans for an NHS AI laboratory. This is all ahead of the NHS Expo, of course, this week. Yeah, of course. Give it a listen and enjoy. First of all, again, thank you very much for coming on, and... Uh, given us the opportunity to talk to you. Um, we're going to start on NHSX, if that's okay. Um, first of all, I was wondering what you made of Matthew Goal's appointment in the first place?
2: I thought um, I thought it was a, ve- a very positive move. I, um, I think I very much judge people on uh, what they do in a post rather than uh, a lot of their track record. But I mean, he's got a good background, and uh, I've been impressed with uh, how he's hit the ground with them um, touring the country and uh, you know meeting people on the at the coalface and getting an idea of what was happening. So, my my initial reaction has been very pos- positive to his uh, appointment.
1: Um, a couple of things that he outlined, I think, in his first blog was that he doesn't want to make the NHS app all singing and all dancing. Um, do you think that's a case of that uh, he's trying to he's trying to look at technology in a way where it should be used for a specific purpose rather than being used for technology's sake?
2: I I think I think he in, inherited um, a difficult. He came in at a difficult point, and where it actually the sort of things like the NHS app develop, development needed. Um, uh, it posi- needed some sort of positive decision-making. And I say that because uh, the NHS app, I think, was an idea that was basically sound. But the application of trying to create this one app that would work across the NHS and the disparate services that there are, and especially if we look at uh, in primary care, in the first instance where it was pointed, there are uh, a huge number of, well, not a huge number, but there are already specific apps linked to most GP practices that allow people to do the things that it was ostensibly going to do. So, for instance, my, my, my practice is uh, uh, locally is an EMIS practice, and I've been able to uh, book appointments and uh order my prescriptions and and do all the things that the app ostensibly was going to do uh for over you know a couple of years now. And so the NHS app per se, um even though it was um a let's say you could have this one one ring rules them all potential uh and so that there was only a single app that people had to go to it wasn't actually offering me anything, so as a as a as a, a as a patient, I had no inclination to move across to it because, uh, as I say, it, there was a, a hugely complex um, sort of procedure to try and get registered with the app, and uh, I'd already got all the facilities that were needed. So I think he came at a time when s- some really important decisions had to be make, made about that. The second thing I think about that was there was a lot. There are a lot of suppliers uh, into primary and secondary care who have uh, technology that is partially app related or web um, web portal related. That uh, uh, the the they were looking at. You know, can we integrate into this? Uh, you know, this NHS app. And actually, that's very problematic. And uh, I think a, a lot of us were, were seeing issues with uh, trying to how how we would try and link into this app. And so I think it was an important time that he came. And I think he's uh, made some. You know, I think his uh, uh, starting point on this has been very sound.
0: Do you think patients are aware of the various different apps that they can access to? I yeah. think
2: that I think that varies according to your um, practice. Uh, so, I mean, most of the most of the apps that we have are, are linked to primary care. Mm-hmm. The, um, the 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 EMIS app, and I'm sure I've, I've no experience with um, System One. Uh, it, my local practice uh, sent out information about it, and so I immediately signed up for it. So, I think the the um, you know, I think there is a subgroup of patients. There are certainly groups of, of, from GP practices that are very, you know, on board with it. There are uh, groups of patients that are very on board with it linked to those practices. Do I think it's common use across the country? I don't, I suspect not, but I would have thought, um, you know, EMIS and um, TPP could give us a, more of an insight into just how how much that is being used. If I just say outside of primary care, there's far fewer um, uh, care-related, as in NHS hospital-related apps. There there are, you know, there are some areas where that is 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 coming to the fore a bit more.
0: Yeah, and I I guess it falls down to the great variations we're seeing in in, in care across the NHS, and on a larger scale, the interoperability problems um, that. That organisation currently faces. Do you think that's going to be one of the biggest issues for Matthew Gould in sort of connecting all these different disparate uh, systems?
2: Um, <clears throat> no, that's, that's an interesting one. I I think there is. Um, if I was to put it, uh, I think there are several challenges. Uh, I think um, more than interoperability. I think the first challenge is the huge variation. In IT uptake, uh, particularly if we if we look at the secondary care sector, uh, there is a, a far greater variability in uptake in uh, um, the electronic patient record uh, and the overall management of patients through uh, secondary care. Um, compared to primary care, where basically it's, there's, there has been the investment, and it was, you know, largely three or four or um, uh, major suppliers that supply most of them, and so all GP practices now, I believe, have uh, have some form uh, of uh, electronic patient record. But in secondary care, it is hugely complex, and so we have a situation where there are some that are very advanced uh, some of the digital exemplars uh, i would say my my own trust uh, local trust in New york uh, and others are, are you know at the forefront of of having a electronic patient record uh, there are other trusts that i visit um as that that have very uh, limited IT support to the care of patients throughout their um, their stay, uh, and they're a long way behind on the EPR, and and so I would say the first challenge is really is about that degree of um, of uh, the the variance in the um, availability of uh, an electronic patient record across secondary care. The second thing, yes, interoperability is is an an issue, but I think we're moving away from my, my gut feeling is that, and, and from what I'm hearing is, I think we're moving away from true interoperability more to a, 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 an ability to share information that you hold on a patient. So, in localities uh, such as my own, they're they're developing. Uh, links with um, you know not just primary care but but uh, social services into yes um, developing a system that allows someone to say do you hold information on this patient linked to the NHS number and them being a secure user then and linked to who what their their role is would potentially give them access to. Uh, and ex- more extended information about that patient, so that there is information sharing on a broad scale, and so I think interoperability is a
1: huge
2: problem. You know, my EPR talking to, you know, the amount of information I, uh, York would hold on a patient, it would be very difficult to make that interoperable to another another system, just because of the sheer architecture of how stuff is recorded. And, uh, you know, I think it would be a big challenge.
1: Right. Ian, I'm just wondering um, about the investment in solutions in, in the NHS. Um, how big of a worry is it about the ones that aren't exactly tailored and can those solutions end up being tailored? Ah,
2: No. I'm going to premise this in that I had the fortune to work uh, in a trust that built its own uh, EPR. And so uh, I've I've worked uh, over the years uh, with uh, a system that was built with the medical staff support and, and supported the processes we were doing. So I, I come at this from a from an angle where, you know, I I was probably very extremely fortunate. When I talk to colleagues in other trusts, uh, they um so they they have huge issues uh with uh, systems that have been purchased that cause them problems because of the way the system is designed, then they and often they end up changing the way they practice to fit with the IT rather than the IT supporting the way they work. Now, that that's not always a bad thing. I think some of my clinical colleagues, uh, it, it, it's good to have a, a degree of challenge in thinking, you know, how can we work differently? But when you get to something that is quite rigid uh, like that, then that causes problems with resistance and lack of ownership in in the the, the local clinicians. And I mean, I use the word clinicians in the widest sense. I mean, nursing staff, medical staff, you know, physios, you know, the the, the staff of the hospital. The, um, The other problem being that when it's not an integrated solution, and by that I mean when they are, you know, they buy an EPR, but they have to buy uh, a separate e- EPMA, so electronic prescribing medicines administration system. Then there are new issues arise, and uh, the 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 lack of integration of key components can cause huge issues and huge um, patient safety issues. So if we if we example use the EPMA example. If you've got a, an electronic patient record where uh, the staff record uh, the patient's um, diagnoses, comorbidities, uh, allergies, uh, and uh, everything, and you have a separate EPR system that is not integrated into that, then when they go into the EPR, they are then have to record the comorbidities, the uh, allergies, and all these things for a second time. Because it's part of safe prescribing, having that recorded within the system. So if it's not integrated, staff are ending up doing doing things twice. Uh, there was a there was a really good blog uh, published by a, <clears throat> by a junior doctor or a, a tweet, uh, a series of tweets where um, he was talking about running a clinic in this hospital he was working in, and he had about um, eight different programs he had to load up. Before he could start his clinic, because the results were different, the radiology was different, the, the you know the, the where they recorded the outcomes of the clinic was different. Uh, you know there was a whole series of uh, programs he had to load before he could start his clinic, and so those sort of things uh, are a big I think are a big issue because they they increase workload for staff. Uh, and anything that increases workload plus but has an effect on the way they work uh, and their preferred way of working uh, has a, a knock-on effect on acceptability and at the end of the day patient safety mm-hmm.
0: and well this sort of goes back to Matthew Gould's announcement Um in one of his statements he's kept his goals fairly reasonable for the next two years he wants to reduce the amount of time clinicians spend in patient information, for instance, um, and streamlining information across systems. Do you think this is because he recognises the struggle the NHS has had in making services more digital?
2: Yeah, I, I think it is. I think the fact that he went round uh, organisations and uh, spent time uh, with uh, various people uh, touring the country uh, as I, as, you know, as I said at the beginning, I think that speaks volumes. I'm sure he gained a, a useful insight on the variation and the challenges faced by the NHS. He also obviously knows the history of uh, the National Programme for IT as was in the old days, uh, and the huge investment there was. Uh, you know, in this uh, big bang approach that failed. Uh, that. Um, you know, I think I think it's a, a very wise man that starts uh, the way he has. I, I think uh, again, I think it does him credit that that uh, he's um, he's being careful with the um, aims for the organisation and uh, you know bringing it forward. Because the bottom line is, the NHS is for the most part moving forward uh, in the IT. Uh, it's just that. Over the years, several politicians have said about being paperless by 2020, 2022, 2024, and things like that. Where where the reality is, it is a huge challenge getting there. And uh, whereas we might have some hospitals that will make, you know, will you know get to the stage where they are working without notes, and some are already there, the reality is that uh, uh, there is a huge way to go for those. You know, for the rest of the pack.
1: Well, with all that in mind, Ian, is, um, and this might well sound like a very obvious question, but it's obviously interesting to hear your thoughts on it. How important is that working relationship between Matthew Gould and Matt Hancock?
2: Um, I, I think any working relationship between the 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 Secretary of State for Health and the 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 you know the head of NHSX is important, uh, but how much, it's a a difficult one to answer. I mean, I think the important part of that is uh, Matthew being able to feedback to, uh, you know, about what the capabilities are, what the reasonable uh, directions are to help uh, manage the expectations, but also to help manage the... Uh, you know, what Matt Matt Hancock is um, saying publicly, uh, you know, because I think once or twice uh, he's um, made statements that have, I would say, backfired somewhat uh, from uh, the response from the service because uh, his statements have, um, you know, have not quite uh, fitted with what is really feasible within the NHS. Um, and so, and, and also, you know, it's like that everything can be managed by IT, or, or that the issues that we have within the NHS can be managed by, by IT, or the use of an app or anything. And that just isn't the case. We have huge, uh, huge issues with manpower and uh, and uh, linked issues uh, that uh, no amount of IT or announcements about artificial intelligence or things like that. Are uh, going to actually make a huge difference too, and so I think having Matthew there is an important link into uh, into Matt Hancock to perhaps provide feedback and uh, the um, you know and and bring more realism to to what is feasible. Does that sound? Yeah, that that's. I think it's a it's it's. I think that's an important aspect of his role.
0: Yeah, do you think that sort of aspect of the infrastructure and the workforce needs addressing first before this push towards more digital systems, or do you think it's something that can sort of be worked alongside?
2: I think it has to work alongside because if we wait for workforce solutions, uh, we're we're um, we're never going to get. um, You know, (laughs) it's it's going to be an ongoing problem. If you look at the number of young people coming out of school and uh, with uh, appropriate uh, a levels uh to access medical training nursing training physiotherapy training and things like that it is uh, it is a big issue trying to recruit into those roles uh the um just because of the the, the numbers i mean youth unemployment has dropped uh, dramatically and uh, so the you know there are certain drivers we will always attract people who are attracted to a caring background but trying to attract more people is a challenge so i think workforce carries on as, as a as an ongoing issue and we can't afford to uh, wait for that to be sorted so i think investment in i.t and uh, development is uh, a con- of continuing importance uh, and uh, it should be done in parallel
1: mm-hmm. Um, just as a bit of a sidestep, um, we we couldn't um, not ask this question given the timing of when you, when you come on to talk to us, but we we'll just thought we get your thoughts on the uh, the AI laboratory that has just recently been announced as well.
2: All right, um, I think it's unfor- unfortunate terminology. I mean, I think um, uh, my feeling is that artificial intelligence per se doesn't. Doesn't exist. I think we can do machine learning. I think there are huge things we can do with, um, you know, so that the areas are, are, you know, looking at radiology, looking at scans. We can train a machine from with lots of information, lots of old scans about what's positive, what's negative, and we can make. uh, I think there's evidence there of it being uh, really important. But I would say that's machine learning. Uh, I think the, um, you know, it's like um, uh, the uh, other areas where it can be used. The uh, moorfield are looking at looking at eye scans, and like it's a similar thing. You give it huge amounts of information, uh, you can let, make the machine learn to look at these scans and pick things up potentially more reliably uh, than a clinician, or at least give uh, the clinician a say, oh, you should have a close look at this one. And so you make repetitive tasks uh, more reliable. So I think I think intelligence, machine learning and things like that are are hugely important. I think there's been a lot said about the work done with um, DeepMind and, and things like that looking at uh renal, you know, trying to pick up patients who are in secondary care who are at risk of renal failure. Well yeah. we can do that. That's an algorithm that you follow. It's not that's not for me, that's not artificial intelligence. I know with working with my renal physicians that if we highlight the patients who've got uh, an uh, a dramatic increase in certain blood results, uh, we should highlight these patients to the clinicians say think uh, renal failure, and so you know we've built into our electronic patient record uh, things that that uses the information that's available on the record to give highlight issues for the for the clinicians. It's no different than if I I'll just describe it like this: we have a national early warning score uh, for trying to pick up patients who are deteriorating, and and so because the sooner we pick these patients up. The quicker we start treatment, the 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 better the outcomes for the patient. So there's a national early warning score which is based on your, your blood pressure, your conscious level, your heart rate, pulse ox, uh, uh, your oxygen saturation, your bloodstream, mm-hmm. and we create a score from it. Okay, and that score, uh, once it reaches a certain level, is highlighted to the staff and say, oh, you should do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, so we can do that. We can use that score to say anyone scores over an X uh, on on the score. Actually, we should be doing a sepsis screen. And so we can build that into our electronic OBS system. So that's, that's that's not artificial intelligence. That's just using algorithms. But we've, we've discovered you can go one further. If you've got the blood results uh, or even if you do a, a computer-generated score that includes the patient's age uh, and a few other factors, you can actually get to pick out the patients who are more likely to have sepsis, and so uh, highlight them and get a, a better success rate. And so there are lots of things that we can do that involve, I would say, algorithms, uh, or you know, you, you're giving the machine the algorithm that, uh, that that can that can make a difference. That per se to me is not artificial intelligence. I do I think it's an unfortunate term. Uh, is my honest uh, answer to that i think um and whether the investment is worthwhile i think as long as it's invested in appropriate uh machine learning uh, that might assist us in the nhs then i think the investment's fine because i I've, I've seen you know good results on some of the things that are termed as ai but actually i i, I think as i say i think that's uh, a misnomer yeah, it
0: makes a better headline as well, doesn't it? Oh, it
2: makes, it makes a wonderful
0: <laughs> headline. Well, I think that's a good lift to end.
1: I think it is. We've covered a lot of ground there. Um, so, uh, Ian, thank you very much for uh, giving us the time. Yeah, thank you very much,
2: Ian. I hope, I hope that was all right.